all of the points that I'm going to make tonight could be developed in more detail than I'm going to develop them. It's going to be just a surface treatment of these subjects. But the purpose of this was to tie this with our daily reading of Scripture. We will ultimately end up in John and in John 7 and 8, where we've read the last couple of days. But let's begin with some facts about Passover, which is the first feast that we'll mention. Passover is mentioned 29 times in the Gospels and uh, 29 times in the New Testament, and all but three of those are in the Gospels. The Gospel of John records three different Passovers that Jesus observed. If you've ever wondered how we come to the idea that Jesus lived about 33 years, what we do is we take the number 30 from the time when Jesus was baptized in Luke 3.23 when he was described to be as about 30. Thank you. Yes. He was described to be as about 30 in Luke 3 verse 23. We take that number plus the number of Passovers that Jesus observed in John. And so that's how we get the number, which is not necessarily meant to be exact, but 33 years for the life of Christ. Now I said that 22 times, 29 times in the New Testament, Passovers mentioned 22 times. They are of this last Passover. So the most important Passover in the life of Christ is the last Passover that he has a part in. I want us though briefly as we look in Luke 2 to see something about the first Passover. In the first Passover that Jesus was observing, this is the only event recorded in the life of Christ from the time of his infancy to the time that he was an adult. The only event from the, his infancy to the time he was about 30 and baptized. And what I want us to see from this particular text, let's first of all just read the text. In verse 41 of Luke 2, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. When he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. As they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem but his parents were unaware of it. But supposing him to be in the caravan, they went a day's journey and they began looking to him for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple 
sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And they went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he continued to be in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, I knew for years and years... This is the only thing we have about Jesus from his early life to the time he was 30. There has got to be a great importance placed upon this event that probably I had not realized. So I just kept looking at it and reading it and thinking through it. And what I found is that Jesus' first Passover is a foreshadowing of his last Passover. Jesus' first Passover, when he's 12, the first is recorded, foreshadows that final Passover in Luke. First of all, and these are some conceptual connections, and these are some vocabulary connections. You have them both, and you have more than what I'm going to give you. But the Bible mentions, first of all, The time period of three days appears in both. Three days. But then, also, the idea that his parents had traveled for three days and they supposed that they would, he was in their company and they were looking for him and did not find him. And you remember... On the third day, the women came to the tomb and they are looking for his body to finish anointing him. And they did not find him. The Bible says in verse 47 that all who heard Jesus were amazed at his understanding. And his answers. They're amazed at his answers. But in Luke 24 verse 22, the women came from the tomb and they amazed us. Because they had seen a vision of angels that said he was alive. Now, something I don't have down on the list. In Luke 2, verse 48, Mary says to Jesus, Your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And Jesus in the next verse says, Why is it that you were looking 
for me. The word that's translated looking is used in Luke 24 when the angels ask the women in verse 5, why do you seek the living among the dead? And also, Jesus rebukes his parents mildly. He says, did you not know I had to be in my father's business, about my father's business? And Jesus, in a stronger way, rebukes those two on the way to Emmaus in Luke 24. And he says, O foolish and slow of heart to believe in all things that are written in the book of the prophets. In both cases, they're rebuked for misunderstanding. And in both cases, they are shown to be God's Son. He showed him to be God's Son. Have you ever read a novel where the writer seems to give all kinds of little insignificant details at the beginning that are left alone, that are not mentioned again until you get to the end. And all those insignificant details are brought up in a way to bring the whole story to conclusion. If you've ever read something like that, and I think of particular things I've read as I hear that, and you may think of others that you have read, but I will tell you, there's no book that is the literary masterpiece that this book is. Because its author introduces these details that will come, become important as the story goes along. Now let's go to the Gospel of John. Of those 29 references to Jesus to the Passover, the Gospel of John has 10 of those. So a little over a third of the references to the Passover in the New Testament are from the Gospel of John. And in John, that's fitting that the Passover would play such an important role in this book. For from the very beginning of the book to the end of the book, Jesus is revealed as the Passover lamb. Look at John 1 and verse 29. In John 1, in verse 29, the Bible says, The next day Jesus was coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then in verse 36, John preaches about Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. So from the very first of the book, he is emphasized as God's lamb. For some of you who were in our numbers class about a year ago, 
We talked about in the course of a year how many bulls were offered and how many rams were offered and how many lambs were offered. Lamb was easily the most common sacrificial animal in the Old Testament. And when John calls attention to Jesus as the Lamb of God, he is calling attention to him as a sacrifice. But look also at the end of the Gospel of John, at that last Passover to John 19. John 19. In John 19, we want to read verses 31 through 37. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. For the Sabbath was a high day, as Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who had seen has testified. He who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may also believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And and again another scripture says you shall look on him whom they pierced. It is a great resource to personal study to have footnotes or column notes in your Bible or to have side notes or center column notes. But, But here in verse 36, not a bone of him shall be broken. I have three passages in my uh, cross-reference, one to Psalm 3420, which introduces a concept that we're not going to get into tonight, and I think applies here, but also Exodus 12, verse 46, and Numbers 9, and verse 12. Now, both of those passages describe the Passover lamb. And when the Bible is giving descriptions of how the Passover lamb is to be cooked and how the Passover lamb is to be eaten and how the Passover lamb is to be treated, it gives this statement about the lamb. It is to be eaten in a single house. You're not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. Now when I read Exodus 12, I'm not thinking, oh obviously, this is about Jesus. This is about the Passover lamb that Israel 
partakes of as they come out of Egypt. And yet, that verse is quoted and applied to the fact that when they give orders to break the bones of those on the cross, Jesus is dead already, and so they don't break his bones. John is emphasizing to us that Jesus fulfills the ideal of the Passover lamb in the book of Exodus. He is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is the Passover lamb that was given for us. One of those three passages that mention the Passover outside of, outside of the Gospels is in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. In 1 Corinthians 5, the subject is the sinful man in the church at Corinth and the disciples are told that a little leaven leavens the whole lump but he emphasizes in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 5, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened for Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. We are living in a culture where it is not always a gift. I am thankful that among a lot of people it is, and I hope among people here it is. But we're living in a culture where it is not a given to recognize this book is from God. And some will say things like, the Bible was written by many different men over thousands of different years, It's full of contradictions. One of the strongest arguments that you can make that this book is from the hand of one author is to see the amazing unity of the Bible. When Moses wrote down those words in Exodus 12, 46, did he have a complete understanding of the fact that this lamb that they were eating was foreshadowing a greater lamb. I don't know if he did or not, but I know who did. I know the one who knew the end from the beginning and the very fact that we can start with so many themes of the Bible and weave them together from Genesis to Revelation is a tremendous statement about the fact that this book is from God. Now, let's go to what we have been reading in the last couple of days. This is not including today's reading. This is the last couple of days. And John 7 verse 2 says that this was set at the Feast of Booze 
John 7 verse 2. This is the only mention of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles in the New Testament. It's the only mention of this particular feast. This feast happened in the seventh month, the 15th day of the month. It lasted for, for eight days. It's recorded in Leviticus 23. The people dwelt in tents and they remembered that the Lord brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now I want you to listen to what this text, what I'm about to read, this text, this uninspired text, but it's relating a Jewish practice. And, and for those who would like the sources for this, I, I can give you these afterwards. What the Jews did during this feast of booze is they had a water pouring ritual. The feast that lasted eight days, seven days, the priests went to the pool of Siloam, they drew out water. And when they drew out this water, they proclaimed from Isaiah 12 verse 3, with joy you will draw from the wells of salvation. And they poured out their water. And they engaged in this water pouring ritual for seven days. The last day of the feast, they don't engage in this. Now I want you to look at John 7. Verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now think about that. As they engaged in this ritual, as they drew the water, they poured out the water. And the last day they don't repeat it. And Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. All they were doing in this feast of tabernacles or feast of booze finds its fulfillment in him. But that wasn't the only ritual that we know of the Jewish people practicing on that feast. In, in another ritual is this. At the feast of tabernacles, each night, each of the first seven nights of the feast, they would light four large lamps and they would accompany this with joyful singing. But on the last night, the lamps were not lit to indicate that full salvation had not come. Now John 8 is still that context. And look at John 8, verse 12. 
Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If anyone is thirsty, they can come to him and drink. If anyone is in darkness, he gives light. He is the fulfillment of all this feast was intended to be. As I said, these things could be developed in much more detail than I have. I simply want to do this to encourage us to continue to read the text, to examine the text, and seek to gain all we can from it. For as we ponder it, we reflect upon it, we see how profound powerful Jesus is and how he is the fulfillment of all of scripture and let us pray oh Lord our God we are thankful for your son we are thankful for your word for you have revealed yourself unto us Through both your Son and your revelation in Scripture. Help us, O oh God, to love you and to seek you. To ponder deeply every word. To remember, to reflect upon your revelation. Seeking, O oh God, to be your people. And having you as our God. May you help us, O oh Lord, to be able to explain and express the unity of your word. And how Jesus meets our deepest needs to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Help us to do this. In Jesus we pray. Amen. If you want to make your life right with God, if you have not repented and been baptized into Christ to have your sins washed away, we'd be glad to help you with that tonight. If you want to ask for the prayers of others, then we'd be glad to help you. And we invite you to come as we stand.